0: So I was invited to officiate at a wedding, some recent graduates from JMU in Northern New Jersey. And of course, with weddings there's a lot of tension about how things are gonna work, wanting everything to be perfect, haven't found one yet, perfect wedding where everything is flawless. And of course, the most important thing is trying to preserve the experience. So now it's videos and whatnot, but back then it was just pictures. And, of course, the photographer doing their own thing, and I'm in somebody else's church, and different layout than this place, obviously, and the photographer was really aggressive. Um, so things were going along, and an odd thing, I'm, I'm in front of the altar here, and got the bride and the groom right there, and I am asking them all these personal questions. Have you come here freely and without reservation? Things like that. Uh, and they're going to exchange their vows and their rings. Well, out of the corner of my eye, I, I, had a, I, I saw something in the corner of my eye as I'm doing this. And the couple's right there. I glanced down. I glanced down. I've never seen this since, thank God. I saw a lens of a camera. And the photographer somehow had managed to move around, came in behind the altar, and was taking a picture from this angle up. The best picture ever. And of course, I am confused and furious all at the same time, and so all I did was, and that was it, and continued on. Needless to say, the photographer was quite upset. And he said, "You destroyed what would have been the perfect shots." And of course, from the photographer's point of view, the most dramatic shots are, in fact, the moneymakers for them. And the other piece to this thing, he said something that I've been very, very familiar with the phrase. It's about preserving the moment. The intensity of this great day and this great love between a man and a woman who comes together. And we've got to have the perfect wedding shots so we can hold on to them forever. You have destroyed this opportunity for them to preserve the moments. Well, if you think about it in terms of our language, in terms of a lot of things we do as human beings, the idea of preserving the moments is all around. And now, especially with all sorts of technology of taking pictures and recording things, we want to preserve what's happening. So we never forget it. So we hold on to it. But the problem is, how many of you here in your 60s are still wearing your letter jacket from high school? What, you don't like preserving high school or something? In other words, life has a way of moving on. How many people have trinkets from all sorts of meaningful vacations and trips they took and wonderful people in their lives that are in a box somewhere in a storage room? Part of our obsession about preserving is to hold on to the experience as in our emotional responses to them. To hold on to something is to preserve the moment that we will never let go. But it doesn't work that way. You can't preserve a moment. Time and history keeps marching forward. And we do not preserve anything. How many people have looked at their wedding albums from 20 years ago? You don't preserve a wedding picture. You persevere in a love you have for that person across the table from you. That in fact, the experience opens us up to a reality, and the most profound reality is our lives. We don't need pictures. We don't need to hold on to them, because it's already still at work in our own lives. Peter does something that a lot of people would say, yeah, like my friend the photographer. This incredible experience, this sublime experience of Jesus revealing himself in a way that the apostles had never seen him before. Wow, this is a different side of Jesus. This is incredible. This is wonderful. This is awesome. And Peter does what all of us would want to do. Oh, wow. Let's hold on to this. Let us never let This go. Let us erect three booths. One for you, Jesus, one for Elijah and Moses. It doesn't get sweeter than this on this mountaintop. And the gospel writer says they did not know what they were talking about, which is a great lie. For their instinct, or Peter's instinct, good old Peter again, is to preserve the emotional experience. The other part of it, he has no idea what he's looking at. He feels something, and he likes what he feels and sees, but he doesn't even know what it means. And when they come down, Jesus says to them, do not tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man rises from the dead. What? What's that about? Let's go back to the mountain. It was so awesome. Because Jesus is saying, this is not a moment to preserve. It's not about holding on to something as we go into the future. This moment is a sign of the future. I have given you an experience to enable you to see into the future. Not to hold on to, but rather to be elevated in the promise that it shows. That only when Jesus rises from the dead do they understand the meaning of the transfiguration. Oh, Jesus was giving us a promise, a hope that guides us into the future, not something that holds us down in the past. And this is what our faith is about. Our faith is about the shaping of the future. You know, around us, we can't wait till they get this COVID out so we can go back to the way it was. We talk about this all the time. Even in the church, if only we could go back to this this century, the way it was. If we could only hold on to these the way they were when I remember feeling so wonderful back then. But life and time does not move in that direction, nor does the kingdom of God. That what Jesus was doing was to give them a promise of the incredible glory yet to be revealed in the future. It's a tough reading, that first one, of Abraham, tested to sacrifice his only son. It is, it does not fit any sensibility, thank God, in our culture, in our time. But it's not really about the emotional responses. It's really about the clarity that in God is the primary relationship and everything flows from that relationship with God. Paul's letter to the Romans, of course, elevates that in a way we understand even more so in a much more dynamic way. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can hurt us? What can harm us? Not even death can trip us up. For in God, all things are made complete. In God, all things are hope. In God, everything is love that despite that which trips me up, despite the things that at times that I pull back to the past, I want to hold on to for a vague sense, it is God's love in the present that shapes me into the future. And in God, nothing can destroy us. As we continue on our Lenten journey, it is easy for us to do two things lament the present state of our own lives, our own individual lives, the life of the world, whatever it might be, and to run back to those pictures in the storage room and reminisce. But God is calling us into something much more dynamic and much more wonderful. The best is still yet to come. And it is in the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is in the promise of the kingdom of God, that God will, in fact, make all things right. I cannot see it, but I believe it. And in that belief, my life is forever changed.